If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms, conscious commentary on business and society. I'm Matt Renner, and I'll be co-hosting today's program along with Ronaldo Brutico. Ronaldo is the president of the World Business Academy, and I'm the Academy's executive director. The World Business Academy is a 513 nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. To find out more about our work and to connect with us, please visit our website, www.worldbusiness.org, or email us at info at worldbusiness.org. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Academy Fellow Hazel Henderson, a world-renowned futurist, evolutionary economist, a worldwide syndicated columnist, consultant on sustainable development, and author of the Axiom and Nautilus award-winning book, Ethical Markets, Growing the Green Economy, as well as eight other books. She's the founder of, the Eth- of Ethical Markets, a nonprofit organization dedicated to fostering the evolution of capitalism beyond current models in order to serve today's new needs and our common future, beyond maximizing profits for shareholders holders and management to be- benefiting all stakeholders. After the interview, Ronaldo and I are going to discuss some of the underreported but vital information about the economic outlook for the globe as a result of climate change. But first, Ronaldo, let's talk about current events shaping the, uh, the Academy's economic outlook and analysis. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Matt, for the introduction, and I'm really glad we're here. Uh, this show, because of uh, some changes we had to do in our schedule for travel, uh, is actually being taped today on uh, August uh, 13th rather than normally. So any comments that you hear uh, relating to current events are really you know, based on what's available as of today. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to comment briefly on how discouraged I am, uh, Matt, over the possibility that the Republicans are currently threatening another huge brouhaha over the debt ceiling limit issue. Yeah. And to me, you know, that took at least one point of GDP off of the uh, off the economy the last time they played this silly game. It can't possibly work because the, the U.S. government can't default on its obligations, won't default on its obligations. It puts the president in a terrible position. And if a, a guy who hates confrontation, as the president does, is going to be forced to have to take a strong position in order to keep the the U.S. government solvent, in addition to dropping the GDP by at least one point the last time they pulled this stunt, it also kept the unemployment rate at least one point higher than it would otherwise be. So we could be looking today at 6.6% unemployment instead of 7.6% unemployment, and that is very troubling. That The people, the elected officials could be that callous about the long-term suffering of so many Americans and their families. It's just, it, just, it, hurts, it hurts my heart. So I just want to note that anyone who has any influence over the Republican Party, and I'm I'm pleased, by the way, there's a new group called No Labels, which has many Republicans, congressmen and senators as members. Uh, And you might want to go online and look it up. No Labels is a coalition of senators and congressmen who are saying it doesn't matter what their label is. They want to make things happen for the common good. I thought that's what everybody was elected to Congress for, but at least you've got about 82 legislators that are now saying that's why they're there. I'm hopeful there'll be more and that the Republican caucus will finally get its act together. I'm concerned, however, that the the degree of power that the Tea Party has over uh, the Republican Party is so enormous that it, uh, it, it, it defies um, – normal rational behavior, meaning that with, say, 10 to 15 percent of the population, but able to threaten a primary challenge to all the Republicans, the Tea Party basically controls who gets nominated the Republican Party. And because of that, they, they are controlling the Republican Party agenda, which is a blocking agenda to try and force the economy to its knees in the hopes that they could capture both the Senate and eventually the White House. 
I think that is so craven and so discouraging and so inappropriate that to fail to speak uh, would be would be as wrong as as to engage in the conduct itself. So I think as citizens of the republic, we all have to speak out and say, wait a minute, this is crazy. We also have to start asking our legislators, meaning the federal and state level particularly, but we've got to start asking the Senate and the Congress to start getting their facts right. Now, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. I couldn't believe that Rand Paul, who clearly is running for president next time as a Tea Party favorite, you know, was on a, was on a show and he was interviewed, and um, they, I forget how it came up. But he, he was asked about um, the former um, uh, economist, um, that uh, Friedman, Milton Friedman, who used to be a darling of the right, as you know. He was, he was the Chicago school. Milton Friedman was the guy who right. was the architect of a lot of conservative economic thinking. And he, ba- and they, and they, and he opined, Rand Paul said, it will, would be, it, it, he, he would take Milton Friedman as the new Fed chairman, he prefer an Austrian, meaning a Hayek, who he thinks is better. And Hayek, of course, is a joke as an economist. He said, "But you know, I, he isn't as good as an Austrian, but I could, you know, accept Friedman if they want to put him in." He didn't even know Friedman's dead. Right. That Friedman would be 100, over a hundred years old if he were alive today. And Friedman himself today is never quoted in the Republican Party because he believed that you had to make concession on certain things. I.e., he agreed that in a, in, a, in a catastrophic economic collapse, you had to stimulate as well as provide economic support. Great column just came out by Paul Krugman on that yesterday in the New York Times, urged people to read it. So how to tie these comments together, and I want to, I want to put one positive note out today, too. And I'm going to put the positive note out, and then I'll explain how the whole, all these comments tie together. Uh, President Obama uh, did something today I'm extremely pleased with because, as you know, I've been on this show railing against him for failing to act like an executive and to constantly say, well, gee, there's nothing I can do. The other boys won't let me. They, they took their toys and went home, which is not acceptable for the chief executive officer of the United States of America. Uh, and what he did today, for those of you who didn't notice it, is he, he, um, sti- he, he stated he was going to put in high-speed Internet to – 99% of all the schools in America, high schools in America. Well, it's about time. I mean, our, our Internet service, by the way, in this country ranks probably 20th in the world, if that, by the way. Most people who don't travel don't realize how much better the Internet is everywhere else in the world but here. And we invented the Internet. But apart from that, and the reason is because the Republicans won't let anybody invest in, in infrastructure, including the Internet. Well, what the president did, which is really smart, is he realized that he could do it through an FCC rule which is what I've been saying over and again and over and again in these shows. Ha- Mr. President, use your power. You have the executive branch. Use it. So what he came up with, and he's going to do apparently, is he's going to have a new small tax, $3 per year. Divide that by 12, and that's how many cents per month. For $3 per year on average, a cell phone user will be taxed, and that will pay for 99% of all the high schools in America to have high-speed Internet access. That's phenomenal. And it doesn't require congressional approval, and he shouldn't let them slow him down. Well, Mr. President, congratulations. That's what we've been asking you to do for six or eight months now. Please get on with it and do way more like that. Uh, cut your EPA loose to deal with the fracking questions, which are crazy. Story in the most recent issue of Currents and Commerce, which, as you know, Matt, is free to anybody who wants our subscription to Currents and Commerce. <clears throat> fracking is now being identified as even more the source of earthquakes, let alone the issue of the toxic chemicals, which – we're not even allowed to know what they all are, although we've we've found out that some of them are extremely toxic. So all these issues, which can be done, EPA can do its job, the FCC can do its job, everybody can start doing their job, and let's start giving people the choice of looking at this Congress that tries to block everything and see what they are for what they are, which is that they are the forces of regression, which are trying to turn the clock back, which are trying to destroy the chance of the middle class in America to have a decent life and send their kids to college. Let's get that middle class dream back again. So how do these three connect? Very simply. When you've got – if you really had a commitment within the citizenry, the people listening to this show, and please, folks, if you like what I'm saying, tell your friends and neighbors to listen to. The more of you who listen, the more we get this word out, the better chance we've got of changing the outcome. So what is the word we want to get out? That At the end of the day, folks, it's up to us. The reason that 15% of the American population called the Tea Party can control the agenda is because you and I don't do enough. We're not out there stipulate. We're not out there fighting for what we know is important. We, we, we went to sleep at the switch. 
and we can't do that anymore. We have to hold all our elected officials' feet to the fire. If you believe that Social Security should be untouched, and I do, then you've got to absolutely force your politicians to say so. And if they don't, you take them out in the primary. In other words, it all comes back to what we can do. We can speak to our politicians and ask them to start representing our common and best interests, including the politician who's called chief executive officer. Mr. President, keep doing your job. Don't let these people stop you. In the meantime, we'll do all we can to help those retrogressive or regressive elements of the Congress come to truth, come to reality about how they're hurting America and how they have to help us move forward at a time when the country has enormous challenges. So that's how I tie all these together. See, it's all about us, Matt. It's, 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 no, if it's not us, who? If not now, when? The country is in crisis because we have never – and we've never been this deeply in crisis since the Civil War. As you know, Matt, we're going to do a series of papers outlining how it is I believe that the Civil War never ended. If anybody would like to ask questions about that on a future show, please do, but you'll be seeing a series of papers coming out. In fact, the Civil War did not end. Hostilities ceased. We stopped firing bullets at each other. But in fact, the clash of cultures, which was the way of the life of Old South and the way of the life of, of the blue states today, that clash never got resolved. By the way, to that point, and I'll end on this note, I was very proud of uh, Hillary Clinton's speech yesterday to the American Bar Association. I was extremely pleased that she came right out and said what we all know is true, and that is striking down the Voting Rights Act is an absolutely inappropriate act of the U.S. Supreme Court. It's not justified by the law or the facts, and is one more example of a court that we have currently that is, in effect, in my mind, a rogue court, which will go down in history as an embarrassment to themselves, and particularly the Chief Justice John Roberts. His name is going to go down in history, along with Roger, Train, uh, Roger Taney, who was the Chief Justice during the Dred Scott case, which led directly to the Civil War. Taney and Roberts, two birds of a feather. They're, one, Taney ended up broke, by the way, before he died, and ended his life in ignominy for all time. And Roberts, I'm sure, won't end up broke, but ignominy is almost a certainty unless he changes his ways. I guess that's my roundup for today, unless, Matt, you've got some questions or things you want to poke at. Well, I just wanted to add in terms of the, uh, the federal action, you know, calling for federal action and what the executive can actually do without a cooperative Congress. Another issue is the uh, new federal drug sentencing and changes to the, uh, the prosecution guidelines. Uh, Attorney General Holder, who I have to say has been a very mixed in terms of his effectiveness, in my opinion, uh, came out and said to prosecutors that they should not be including the amounts of drugs in sentencing in order to circumvent the mandatory minimums put in place by Congresses in the past who want to appear hard on, tough on crime, but have ended up just blowing up the prison populations with minor drug offenders and uh, all, the, all the consequences that come along with that. I thought that was, uh, it was a little late but it was a creative and interesting approach that we're seeing uh, the, the executive branch take without uh, intervention. And finally, from finally, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think Eric Holder's been a terrible disappointment. I think your comments are very measured, uh, Matt. I think Holder's been a terrible disappointment on a lot of levels and hasn't supported what we all, uh, has not supplied the, the appropriate legal authorities and movements to permit the Justice Department to act effectively. I mean, for example, wasting scarce resources on marijuana prosecutions in states like California and Oregon and Washington, yeah. or the, in Colorado, where the public has clearly voted. What, what, and, and, and particularly on, on a war on drugs that is so bankrupt, is, it's a 40-year-plus war that has destroyed the country to the tune of tens of billions of dollars and has primarily been used, as you said, to blow up the prison population, in other words, to increase the prison population dramatically so that over half all the prisoners in federal prisons are there because of, quote, drug-related crimes, close quote, and, and by the way, victimless drug crimes. That's insane. We're, we're the largest incarcerator on the world. Why do we have more Americans in prison than any other nation in the world per capita? It makes no sense. In fact, by the way, it might not be all per capita. It might be in, in actual numbers. But my point is we need to look at those laws and say the reason those laws were in place was disproportionately to be applied against the black and brown people of this country. 
racism is not dead, obviously. Uh, I don't know if you saw that terrible thing that happened uh, in uh, in the Mountain States, I guess it was yesterday, the day before, where a clown, a rodeo clown, came out wearing a uh, an Obama mask, while the while the commentator from the stand, you know, the the, the 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 guy over the loudspeaker, is making jokes about how he's that uh, that black Obama is going to have to sit there and get run over by a bull. It was so overtly racist and yeah. so overtly disrespectful that even the I think it was Montana was it the Montana Cowboys I forget which which one it was but they actually decided to bar that particular rodeo clown from ever performing in the state again. A little bit late, but what he did helped helped to to really galvanize uh, people's understanding, I think, of how really racist this whole anti-Obama movement's been. I mean, yeah. I saw a woman holding up a sign the other day. I think it was in Maryland. Say, Kenyan, go home. I mean, the birthers are alive and well. Isn't that insane? I mean, really? Yeah, how can you run a country when people are that crazy? And the answer is, you can't. What you have to do is figure out a way to let the people that are that whacked out that they're still complain they still think that he was born in Kenya. If you're that whacked out, somehow we've got to let those people go off and live in their own land. <laughs> they, they deserve their own country. Really, I really want them to have their own country. Well, just on to the, the point of the racist uh, intentions of the drug war, I really want to recommend a movie that I recently call, saw called The House I Live In. It's a documentary from. Executive producers Danny Glover, John Legend, Brad Pitt, and Russell Simmons. And it's by a filmmaker named Eugene Jarecki, who's, I think, one of the most important filmmakers of our day. Uh, And it talks about and goes very deep into the policies and the history of the drug war. I'd recommend that to everyone if they have a chance to uh, to check it out. I believe it's on Netflix, but I'm not sure. Um, Ronaldo, I want to shift now to our interview section. Hazel Anderson is going to be our guest today. She is a fellow of the World Business Academy a world-renowned futurist, evolutionary economist, a worldwide syndicated columnist, and a consultant on sustainable development. She has a deep history with the Academy, and I'd like to hear you talk more about it when you, when you speak to her, Ronaldo. But, Hazel, I want to make sure your mic's working and introduce you to the show. Welcome, Hazel. Hi. I so much enjoyed listening to your conversation, Ronaldo and Matt. Oh, and thank I have you. To, I have to say that pretty much agree with every word of it. <laughs> well, let me let me just uh, to introduce you, my dear sister. Uh, first of all, Hazel, uh, we said that a, a version of your bio uh, that went out with an announcement of this show. Uh, we've also got a uh, pretty extensive uh, bio of you on our website under the fellows page. People can look it up there. Rather than refer to that, though, what I want to talk about today when I introduce you is. You are, without a doubt, one of the most brilliant economists alive today in the world. In addition, oh, wow. <laughs> no, you are, and, and, and you know, and Mr. Gorbachev. But you know, I never call myself an economist, and a lot of people call me an anti-economist because really everything I do is beyond economics. You know, I'm trying to transcend economics and move to the real science. You know, <laughs> well, I think that's Perfect. true. I, but at the same time, what the implications of your writing oh, yeah. yes, yes. and your thinking is what I would call the best economic thinking, along with Paul Krugman and and Joseph Stiglitz and a few others out there. I think that I know you disagree with Krugman on some things, having to do with stimulus and whatnot. But what I like about what you do, Hazel, is that you reframe the issue, and and you I reframe it in that. such a powerful way. Well, thank you. Uh, that's what I most enjoy doing, as you know, and uh, and of course I have so much enjoyed being a fellow of the World Business Academy all these years. You know, it's funny when you were talking about Milton Friedman and uh, the fact that Rand Paul didn't even know he was dead. <laughs> I mean, it would be funny uh, to really have somebody ask a question of Rand Paul, you know, did he know that Milton Friedman was the one who advised that when you uh, have the economy kind of hit the skids like uh, ours did, you know, with lack of demand and everything, that uh, Friedman was the one who said you should go up in a helicopter and just throw the money out the window and let all citizens pick it up. And that would be the proper way to stimulate the economy. And uh, that was when... 
you know, Bernanke picked that up. That's why they called him Helicopter Ben. But that was the only sensible thing that Helicopter Ben has ever said. <laughs> Except for one thing, <laughs> Helicopter Ben didn't didn't drop the bills on top of the population. He dropped them over Wall Street in copious quantities. Exactly, and and yet, you know, it, it really is funny. I mean, if uh, I mean, of course, you know, Milton Friedman. Um, uh, he never did have a real Nobel Prize. You know, it's a phony, that Nobel Prize. The real name of it is the Bank of Sweden Prize. Just think how it would change the conversation if all of these, if everybody knew that the Nobel Committee never had an economics prize and that that prize was put up by the Bank of Sweden and is actually called the Bank of Sweden Prize. Now, wouldn't that change the debate, you know, if Milton Friedman uh, had um, had to be introduced as a winner of the Bank of Sweden Prize? Everybody would say, well, yeah, okay. You know, yeah, what else I, is new? Mega <laughs> <laughs> who? <laughs> but you know what's interesting? It, it, I'm so glad you brought that up because so few people realize that when Alfred P. Nobel set the committee set his committee up to give out these prizes, the Nobel P Prize, there was no prize for economics. Right. And yes. and, and so when, when I guess the economists and the companies got together and said, "Gee, we got to have one for our boys," and they come up with the Bank of Sweden and then miss intentionally miss construe it as a Nobel Prize. It was the whole the whole purpose was to dress up economics, which is a perfectly noble profession, but to dress it up as if it were a science, which it is not. Any economist will tell you after a couple of drinks that <laughs> econ- economics is not a science. It never can be because human beings refuse to behave like golf balls. And and I also want to go back to the beginning of economics, which was moral philosophy. Yes. In other words, right. people forget that moral philosophy is what they used to call this, but the, the modern-day economists thought that wouldn't give them enough stroke. <laughs> they That's wouldn't it. be regarded That's well right. enough, so yes. they called it economics. That is right. And, of course, you know, most of the real scientists in the world uh, call it uh, physics envy, the whole economics profession. <laughs> that's wonderful. And you know, I, that's now you're. I mean, you just hit for a second, Hazel. That's what I mean about you reframing things. See, the the the, the whole idea to me, in the true sense of where economics came from, moral philosophy. You are a pristine moral philosopher and a visionary. You really are a moral philosopher and a visionary. So that means you are the true economist as opposed to the people who masquerade for it now. <laughs> well, I'm sure I have more fun though. Uh, you undoubtedly do because you per, you actually uh, I see you constantly tweaking and, and pricking more balloons than most. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, you know when when you guys were talking about not touching social security and stuff like that. I mean, of course. I mean, if they want to do anything to social security, just raise the cap, bring more people right. into it. Right. Actually, you know, I, I, there is one change I, w- I want to go on record. There's one change for social security I want to see, and I would love to see it happen immediately. I want everybody in America to be able to qualify for it. Yes. I want everybody in America to qualify for for Medicare as well. Yes, I mean that that's right. Medicare for all, you know. Medicare for all. Medicare for all. I, when I turned sixty five I couldn't believe how, how good Medicare was. Think how much cheaper it would be. You know, oh apparently I mean all of this the overhead of all of this private insurance is about fourteen percent and Medicare's overhead, even though there's a whole lot of waste and fraud which are trying to clean up, but it, it is is about two to four percent, as I understand. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. Yeah, so I mean good heavens if we want I mean, to it's, save it's, the it's money. At least, it's at least one third or less of the cost of the private insurance system and far more equitable. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, because I was, I was lucky. I grew up in Britain under the National Health Service, which is much maligned by the right wing here. But, I mean, Brits, you know, when that was brought in, um, everybody loved it. It was brought in in the 50s. And when Mrs. Thatcher came in, she tried to do away with Medicare. I mean, with the National Health Service, which is equivalent to Medicare. And even, you know, the most ardent conservatives in Britain, no, no, no. I mean, you know, it's Britain's national pride and joy. Well, I've got to, this gives rise to two other Rand Paul comments I've got to make. One was he was on the John Stewart show last night, which John Oliver, a British individual, is now hosting this yes. week. 
I watch it and, all the time. I know. Did you see it last night? <laughs> I haven't seen no because I okay. So this is good. This is this is Rand. So Rand Paul basically says, you know, he starts talking about why um, it, uh, the Affordable Care Health Care, so-called Obamacare, is a bad idea. I think it's a phenomenal idea, particularly for small businesses and individuals. But putting that aside, he goes, and you know, um, you like it here. John Oliver goes, you bet, I like it. I'm staying. I'm staying in America. He goes, that's a good thing because if you got sick over there, and John Oliver jumps in, he goes, if I got sick here or there, I. I'd go back there because they take care of me. <laughs> he did. He said that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know it, it's so funny. Now I also loved what you were saying about the Roberts Court, the Supreme Court. I mean, I agree. I, I like to quote Elizabeth Warren. You know, she said that the Roberts Supreme Court is a wholly owned subsidiary of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I think that's probably true, um, and the only thing that keeps from being true is I don't think the Chamber of Commerce wholly owns them. I think they work for free for them, <laughs> which, which calls into question not only their wisdom but their self-interest. I can't believe it. I just think it's insane, yeah, really. It's, uh, and, you know, can you believe that Clarence Thomas is sitting there today? Unfortunately, he holds the light, in his hands the life of that man uh, in Texas who's about to be executed who clearly has an IQ below normal, he's, he's, so he's technically retarded. Uh, prior courts have said you can't execute a, a retarded person because that's like sort of like, right. you know, like, yeah. it, it, and so and who does he get? The poor guy, the luck of the draw, he ends up with Clarence Thomas. And Clarence is going to, I mean, here's a guy who's the full beneficiary of the system, yes. clearly. Really, truly. And consistently votes against his own race, his own best interests, the middle class. And I can't yeah. see – part. I mean, he certainly gets a lot of money for speaking engagements, and they fly him all over, which I'm sure he's very – you know, he likes those perks. But at the end of the day, I don't understand how someone like that, who succeeded so well because we tried to make a path for minorities to the top. Yeah. It's the pull up the you know it's sort of pull up the uh, the, the drawbridge after I got yes, through it with is, you guys. Yeah, it is amazing. But um, also, what you guys were talking about in terms of the kind of the crazy uh, politics that we have in this country now, I think um, I can't remember well, who did this survey, but I mean when you realize apparently forty percent of the American public uh, doesn't believe in evolution. I mean, right. forget forget about climate change or anything else. I mean, they don't even they don't even you know believe in evolution. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. It really is. Well, I, I actually was on a call this morning where someone said to me that they didn't know that the sun would rise in the east tomorrow morning, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Now, okay, now you, you, you okay? Why could you not know that? And well, it might be an asteroid impact." I said, "Okay, if there were no if there were, if the sun does rise tomorrow, would you agree that we know it rises in the east? Well, I don't know that. Yes, you do." Unfortunately, you do. You know, and I think that 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 degree of equivocation in our dial in our conversation creates a vacuum within which things that are patently insane can be discussed as if they're legitimate dialogue. Yes. Well, you know, that's why I'm so happy that your company and my company belong to the American uh, Sustainable Business Council because they are really worming their way in. You know, I serve on their message committee, and we've now got a new committee on externalities. And basically, they, you know, we had this whole discussion about, you know, how should they approach these Tea Party members, you know, and the ones who don't believe in climate change or evolution or science or and think they're entitled to their own facts. And my view is, look, they are so on the wrong side of history. They mostly get their money, you know, from the right wing and the fossil fuel interests and the nuclear interests. And they don't see the wall of money coming at them from the other side that we document in the Green Transition Scoreboard. Well, and the $4.1 trillion yeah, let's, let's already go in the that. pipeline. You know, let's just... Let's Investing in solar energy and uh, you know energy efficiency and wind power and geothermal and all the things that we know are the succession technologies to today's fracking and fossil fuels and nukes and everything else. And so uh, my advice to our friends at ASBC you know, is just ignore those members of Congress. Um, you know, the, I mean, they're just on the wrong side of history. They yeah, don't even like, you know, see what we what's say in the academy is. Hazel, what we say, and I want to go back to Green Transition Scoreboard in a minute, but what we say in the Academy is I, I just don't have time anymore to argue with people who are flat-earth theorists. No. 
There is no, no such thing as a flat earth theory. There's a flat earth religion, perhaps. Yes, and exactly. you can't argue with religion, right? You can, uh, you, you know, religion is religion. But there's no flat Earth theory. It's the, the world is round. Yes, there's no exactly. question that the sun will rise in the east, tomorrow will set in the west if it rises at all. So there's certain things we got to start just laying down the law and saying, you know, this is the case. And anybody who doesn't agree, we probably can't help you. You either need no. a priest, a therapist, or someone to incarcerate you. Because <laughs> you really, you you really don't get it. Now, no. go back to green transitions. I wanted to I wanted to introduce that subject because so what you are alluding to, so our, our listeners know, there's a great service that Hazel performs, and I want everybody listening to the show to after you're done listening to it, go to Green Transition Scoreboard. What, give them the URL. Um, dot com. Green Transition Scoreboard. Dot com. And 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 what I'm going to ask you to elaborate, but my understanding of what it does is it keeps track of the massive investments that are starting to be made in solar energy and other renewable so- sources of energy as we shift from a fossil fuel economy. Is that exactly. a good summary? Yes, and and I have been talking uh, with uh, Bill McKibben um, about how important it is when all of these students who are following his lead and uh, his campaign asking their uh, endowments of their universities to divest uh, from fossil fuels and nuclear power and all of that. Uh, and, and I was saying, please, please, Bill, uh, don't just ask them to divest because you know very well if you're a portfolio manager and you manage $20 billion, you can't divest. You have to put that money somewhere every day. And what the Green Transition Scoreboard does is tell them where to put that money. I mean, what we've been tracking since 2007 is all of the private investments, no government. We are very clear to take out government investment. And this is private investment since 2007 in all of the green sectors, solar, wind, energy efficiency, clean buildings, you know, public transit, electric cars, uh, you know, all of the, this kind of stuff. We do not actually at the moment include biofuels because uh, we feel that it's competing with the food supply. There's too much coming, you know, at the expense of food crops. But, you know, we're looking for the day when we can look at biofuels that are grown on seawater and algae. Um, And so, of course, we don't include um, all of these sort of faux categories of green investments like, quote, unquote, clean coal, no such thing, (laughs) or, you know, a carbon sequestration, you know, of, of coal. Um, emissions, forget it. And I mean, that's really stupid. We don't include nuclear because, of course, that's not clean. You know, it's incredibly dangerous. And I always say that, that nuclear power is the stupidest and wasteful and most inefficient way you can possibly imagine to boil water. Yeah, it's, it, Which exactly is all a, a power exactly. plant is. It's boiling water to drive off steam. And you can boil that water with wind, with solar, you know, uh, with geothermal, uh, with oil. But why on earth anyone it, would want to build a nuclear power plant to boil water? Well, yeah. and, and you know that the the Academy actively opposes nuclear. And uh, well, we were the only business group, Hazel, that uh, basically fought to close San Onofre, which was closed on June 7th. Yeah, well, that's why I love and, you guys. Yeah, we're we're now trying to close Diablo for all the same reasons. Just to, here's one statistic that'll prove what we just said. So we have this new pro- thing coming online in early 2014 called Bright Source Project. Have you heard about that? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's about it's about one third the size of San Onofre, <clears throat> a little, little little more than one third, and it will be produced in one year at a total cost that's less than half of what we pay for nuclear. In one year. Oh, yes. I mean, this is the and you thing get it all in a year paid for. Yeah. I mean, when it's properly accounted for, I mean, this is the whole thing, of course, there's all of these subsidies. I can remember when I served on the Technology Assessment Advisory Council to Congress back in the late 1970s, one of the people I served with was Jim Fletcher, who um, became the head of NASA. And he used to tell us, and this is like we're talking the late 70s, and he used to tell us, uh, and you know, there was the Secretary of Defense and all of these corporate people who served on that thing, and he said, you know, if we had only 
um, not subsidized coal, oil, gas, and nuclear, and instead had been subsidizing solar, wind, energy efficiency, geothermal, and all of that, he said that the U.S. economy would have been completely run on renewables by the mid-1970s. Yeah. I, Imagine uh, we've wasted yeah. 30 years digging stuff out wow. of the ground. Well, we should have been looking up and 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 learning how to get those free photons every day, to, as well as plants do. I mean, plants learned to do that millions of years ago with chlorophyll Absolutely. in their leaves. Absolutely, and and that's I know you've got a partnership with another fellow of the academy, Janine Benyus. Um, and basically, who's the author of biomimicry, and who's who's who sees the use of biological systems uh, throughout society, not just as metaphors, but as actual working models. Yes. Uh, before I go past this, though, what I'd like to do is there's so many things to talk to you about because you're such a font of, of really useful information that I would like to invite you back just to talk about green transition scoreboard. I just like to focus on that for one whole show. Oh, I like would we, love to do that. Yeah, so let's let's we'll, we'll schedule that, Matt. And the other thing I want to talk to you about today is, and this is my last Rand Paul, I promise. But he's just been so, full, but now that he's running for president. He's so full of good material. <laughs> so he said that the deficit is growing by a trillion dollars a year. Of course, as you know, it's going down. It's been going down. It's now about six hundred ninety billion, so way below a trillion. And and what and the reason I'm asking mention this is, if the if if in fact the facts are the deficit's going down. And the facts are that uh, any attempt to try and limit um, the, the rollover of the debt ceiling, any any further extraction of, of, of money from the economy through the, another set of automatic sequestration in January is going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. Oh, big time. It will be big, big time. Yeah, well, and, and my bad. question is this. I think that even though you and I probably have a different point of view, uh, I mean, we, we wouldn't be running the Fed the way the current chairman or Fed is being run. I would assume, A, you support Je- uh, Yellen as the new... Uh, oh, definitely, uh, yes. I mean, if have you? I, it, you'll find on my website, ethicalmarkets.com, the yeah. article I did when um, Obama regrettably appointed Larry Summers um, at the beginning of his uh, first administration. And uh, my article was titled, Come Clean, Larry Summers, about your role in wrecking the economy. Yeah, and by the way, yeah. I, you must be pleased at how much publicity Larry's gotten in the last oh, 20 days, 10 days, as his name was floated for Fed chairman, and everybody's coming out of the woodwork oh, saying the yes. same thing, as you know. I mean, I mean, we have him to thank for the destruction of Glass-Steagall and right. you know, for allowing all of these derivatives to run wild. Which he's never owned up to, by the way. Unbelievable. I mean, he gets all this money from D.S. Shaw, this um, hedge fund on Wall Street. Yeah. So, but, so the thing I was going to ask you about, and I, I thought we'd be probably in the same mind about Yellen. My question is this. The Fed right now, as you know, has two things it's doing. One, it's buying $85 billion a month worth of, of, of treasuries right. yeah. so that, uh, that it can uh, continue the liquidity uh, approach that they've taken, which is this, the helicopter bend that you referred to earlier. Yes, because sending the money in the wrong direction, propping yeah, up because, Wall Street. Yeah. Right, because what he's really doing is he's allowing the banks to borrow at a quarter of a point or less, and oh, he's paying terrible. them one and a half points to buy the bonds. Yeah. So what he's doing is he's moving all this money over to the banks, quote, to shore up their balance sheets, close quote. Now, my question is this. When you get someone like Yellen, and who's already stipulated she believes we need more stim- stimulation, is more vocal about that than Bernanke, do you think she will be a more balanced chair of the Fed, given that the deficit's well, already fallen? Yes, I do, because I think she'll be much more open to understand that uh, there's nothing essentially wrong with QE, you know, money printing, as long as it goes in the right direction. I mean, you know, um, one of our um, advisors, Ellen Brown, has uh, written um, many times about how it would be just as easy for uh, the Fed to to buy up the trillion dollars of unrepayable student loans and securitize them, put them on the Fed's balance sheet and write them off. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Right. And you know, that, that actually... just imagine the energy that would be released in this country um, if we started realizing that the biggest investment that any society makes is in its young people, educating its young people. No. In fact, just let's focus on that statistic. Under the new law, which was the compromise, and I really want to credit Elizabeth Warren for forcing any compromise through because they were trying to completely obliterate student loans by making them go to market rates, which would have put oh, every student been loan nasty. person under, under – yeah. And it, would, it could have led to a, a deep, deep – Deep, deep, deep recession just on that alone. But um, the, the compromise came out that they're going to pay under the current regime about 6% for a student loan, and I think that's the compromise number, and it rises over time with market rates. Now, why would you loan students who are struggling to get started in life, and we know there's a problem with new housing formations for young people because the student debt's so high, which therefore is crippling yeah. the economy further. Why would you charge them 6% when you give the banks money at 0.25%? Oh, exactly. No, I love uh, Elizabeth Warren's bill. You know, make it the same. I mean, Make it the same. If the yes. banks can borrow for a quarter of a point, why can't students borrow for a quarter Absolutely. of a point? I don't understand that. Well, you know, the thing is that most uh, other advanced economies consider education an investment. And, I mean, that's why China's, you know, got so many um, PhDs rolling off the production lines, all these engineers and mathematicians and physicists, because they don't, you know, it's free. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously. Now, one of the things that um, I, I did an editorial last week um, on the, the new calculations of the GDP, and they have made a start um, in beginning to um, account for intellectual um, investments and and they still haven't moved far enough, but they're beginning to realize, you know, that an, an economy uh, like ours is a service-based economy. You know, 70% of the U.S. economy is services, and that, you know, most corporations now, big corporations, particularly, you know, in the IT, IT sector, are 80% intangibles. Well, and in, 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 thank you for bringing that up because a lot of people listening to the show don't realize what happened. Let me just focus on what you said. The, the government has finally, for the first time in calculating GDP, has said, okay, there's a thing called intellectual property. So when I own a patent or the rights to a motion picture or a book I wrote, in other words, the intellectual property it became an enormous asset in this company, growing asset in the last 60, 70 years, and the, the, it was never counted in GDP. So basically, right. we, were, we were counting only the industrial model economy, and we weren't counting the modern economy, which is right. the stuff you can drop on your foot. You know, it's the right. only thing that they were counting. So and it was, so, and they're taking flack for changing that. You know, I mean, they said, oh, well, oh they're, yeah, they're making uh, themselves look better. But the truth is, it's actually a more accurate barometer. It's more accurate, and they haven't gone far enough. So that's what my editorial says, which is up on my website now. But basically, they still consider education this most important investment that any society makes in its future as money down a rat hole. I mean, in GDP, education is still in the expense column. I know. Instead of, I'm, going to get to, column. I'm going to get to one other one on that, too, because I know it's a pride of yours. But uh, Matt, do me a favor. Would you make sure that uh, – get pull that article off of Hazel's website she just referenced and put it on our website, too, so people can go right to our, our homepage and find it easily? Sure. Like, I really want them to – because it's a very important point, and it's the kind of things that Hazel and I look at all the time, and I'm, I want our listeners to start paying attention to the, these little things that happen that have enormous consequences. Huge. Really enormous consequences. Huge. Yeah. The name of the article is GDP Gouging, Dematerializing Gaging. Progress. Yes, oh, gauging, gauging dematerialized progress. <laughs> I apologize. It's a great <laughs> title. <laughs> no, gouging, gouging has gauging. its place. Gauging. I, thought it was gouging I was just trying to keep with the letters GDP. But what, <laughs> what, you know, what that, I mean, it's a start. It's a step in the right direction. Um, and, of course, we have to do a lot more. I mean, the whole thing is we need an asset account on GDP because uh, what the one of the real problems of GDP is that all of these important public infrastructure assets, whether, yeah. you know... Um, explain the bridge. Have, Hazel, explain count. the bridge. I don't think people realize that when we build the bridge, we expense it. <laughs> explain that to people. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, if we had an asset account, it would mean that um, uh, immediately, I mean, uh, this is work I did in Brazil, you know, that, um, that the so-called jet 
debt to GDP ratio is cut in half immediately by stroke of the pen. Yeah, because so what they do is that uh, at the moment the GDP counts the debt the, um, that was incurred to create the asset, but not the value of the asset, whereas the asset is far more valuable than the debt. Yeah. So let me explain to people. You wouldn't invest in it. So, so if a company builds a plant, they take debt on, let's say, and they spend cash. So they, they show a, a drop in their balance sheet for the cash they spend, and they show an increase in liability for the debt. But they also show an asset called new plant, That's exactly which they then right. amortize over 20, 30, 40 years. When a city builds a bridge or a state or a county, they expense it all in that year. They show the debt from the bond issue to pay for it, but they show the bridge as if it's not going to be there for the next 40 years. That's right. And that's why we have the infrastructure. And uh, we got that changed in Brazil, um, and we forced them. You know, luckily, uh, the the finance minister went to the World Bank and the IMF, and they said, look, this is absolutely ridiculous, you know, because uh, we're a growing country. We have to build sewers and airports and hospitals, you know, and all of that. And, uh, you know, we have to carry these assets that we're building on the books as the valuable assets that they are. They're going to last for hundreds of years. And so very reluctantly, um, the IMF um, agreed that in the case of Brazil, um, they would uh, they would go along with this. And, you know, of course, I mean, it, it, it changed the entire complexion of oh, – it's a more accurate picture. Much more accurate. And, 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 of course, and so now Brazil, you see infrastructure you know, as asset building as opposed to expense generating, and that yes. changes the dialogue. Absolutely. So this is how far, I mean, so we have to keep the GDP people to keep their feet to the fire because they've started in the right direction, but uh, they still need a lot of help from the likes of you and me, Ronaldo. Absolutely. Hazel, who is it that sets the policies and how GDP is calculated? The Commerce Department. It's the Commerce Department, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and it's all out of the 200-year-old obsolete economic textbooks, uh, mostly from the 19th century when we were a manufacturing economy, and the only thing that counted as real was stuff you could drop on your foot. Yeah, exactly. We're still back in the dark ages. Well, we're we're out of time for today, but here's what, I definitely want to have you back because for sure we got to talk about green transition scoreboard. We got to continue this conversation, but before I let this go, I have to also put in a plug because Hazel, among other things, is the she says the grandmother, I say the mother of social responsible investing in the world, <laughs> and part of that her commitment to the social responsible community is that she launched a thing called the Ethic Mark Awards, and we're about to get a new batch, and I just want people to be aware of it so they can go to our website and learn about it. But do you want to mention ethic mark at all? Oh yes, please. Yes, this uh, this baby, which I'm so happy that World Business Academy adopted, um, the ethic mark awards are for advertising that uplifts the potentials that we have to um, create a, a better, more human future. And uh, we're now on our seventh annual award giving, and uh, we're just in the, in the judging process now. We have a bunch of judges who are extremely influential, well-known people all over the world. We have uh, cooperating co-sponsors along with Ethical Markets and the World Business Academy. We, we have uh, Globescan, the global polling firm, and uh, Tomorrow's Company, which is a group based in London. And uh, gosh, we have sustainable brands. We have the University of Notre Dame, and uh, and so it's getting. Oh, and and the most uh, important uh, institute uh, of marketing and advertising in Brazil, ESPM. So uh, we are really just now kind of taking off at the next level. Um, the seventh annual awards will be given at the SRI Conference of Socially Responsible Asset Managers and Investors, which takes place in October. I don't know, I remember the exact date. Do you have? I, I can. I'll look it up for you. But while you're talking, but the just to let people know, we do carry links to the winners. So when people, um, if you want to come online, if first of all. Please read about the Ethic Mark Awards before then, but we will be announcing the winners in uh, on October 29th in uh, Colorado. So anytime after the 31st on, come online and look at the winners. You'll be amazed at some of the commercials people are doing that are actually uplifting the human spirit yes. rather than trying to jade us into more 
consumerism we don't need and materialism. Dumb stuff. Right. Dumb stuff. Yeah. It drops right. on your foot and goes out. <laughs> well, Hazel, well, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's yeah, a it's great pleasure. pleasure. Thank you, and thank you so much, Matt, for hosting this. Absolutely. Thank you, Hazel. Love you always, and I can't wait till the next time. Good. Me too. Take care. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye. So, Ronaldo, I want to introduce a quick note here for our listeners. Uh, our Safe Energy Project, the Safe Energy Project of the World Business Academy, continues the critical fight against dirty energy, especially renewable power. Um, right now, we're working to propose solutions for a renewable future based on existing technology that could cure us of our fossil fuel and radioact- radioactive addictions and launch a new paradigm of abundance. Uh, if our listeners would like to more information about the Safe Energy Project, please visit our website at safeenergyproject.org. And we're getting ready to launch a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for a short film on the direct cancer threat nuclear power poses to you and your loved ones. So if you'd like to help out with this campaign, you can email me directly at matt at worldbusiness.org, and I'll send you links when the campaign pops up. Uh, Matt with two T's. And and by the way, I want our listeners to know, I had no idea in advance that Hazel was going to mention nuclear, none whatsoever. As as Matt knows, when we put these calls together, we intentionally make it very spontaneous. We, We don't there's no script. There's no pre-cleared subject. And when she threw in the nuclear, I was just so happy because I know that Hazel thinks that. But it's delightful that she volunteered that it was the most incredibly stupid way to boil water she ever heard of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I yeah. really appreciate that conversation for the same reason. Um, and she didn't touch on it, but I think the, the power conversation leads into our next topic, which is the, the economic threat from climate change, um, something we wanted to cover here in the last segment of the show before the lightning round. Uh, Ronaldo, you know, one thing that's different about this show, as our listeners can probably tell, is that we take pride in discussing trends and issues ahead of the media to help our listeners prepare for the massive systemic changes that threaten to upend our society and fundamentally change our way of life. Uh, This is one of those issues, and I'd like to take a few minutes to uh, discuss exactly what you see coming down the road in terms of economic impacts from climate change. Yeah, and, and um, I, I can't wait for the lightning round today because there's some really specific economic advice I want to give to people for their portfolios. But um, which, but let's set the stage. Right now, in case people haven't been noticing, remember the old analogy, if you put a frog in cold water and you slowly turn the water up, the frog doesn't know it and he ends up getting boiled. Whereas if you take a boiling water and you throw the frog in, he'll jump out immediately. But what, what, the, what, what that story is about is how we acclimate to things even as they get worse and worse. People are starting already to acclimate to the idea that huge parts of the United States should be flooded, massive flooding, every year. Um, people are, are, are getting acclimated to the fact that the, um, the Arctic is uh, it, it, basically we've lost, I think, over 400,000 square miles of the Arctic this year. It's, 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 just, it's astounding. So that means all that reflective surface of snow and ice which was keeping the planet cool and reflecting sun back into the atmosphere and back into space, is gone. And so now what we're doing is we are actually having the situation where the run-up in um, uh, heat from climate change. Yeah, I just looked at the, 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 the number of square miles by which the Arctic sea ice is below the 1981 to 2010 average, which, by the way, was up to 2010 was already receiving damage from Industrial Revolution. Right. 409,000 square miles more than the average in 81 to 2010. So, what you, and, and here's another statistic we printed just now in, in currents, in the current issue currents. The last, in the 20th century, we now have had 340 consecutive months where global temperatures are above the 20th century average. 340 consecutive months. Now, Folks, I just you got to know that the consequences of that are astounding from an economic point of view. So if you live in the hurricane uh, belt, you are going to get flooded. And sooner or later, they're not going to keep it rebuilding. Today, New Orleans still has not been rebuilt and never will be fully rebuilt. In fact, the, the, the likelihood is the exact opposite. Larger chunks of New Orleans will be lost in the future. Uh, they're not going to – the cities – that you see in the Midwest of the country, which are in the tornado belt, like Joplin, Missouri, has not been rebuilt. It's been several years. It's not rebuilt. Okay, uh, I think it's Moore, Oklahoma, which was flattened, is not going to get rebuilt. And if it does, it will get flattened again. 
because as you can see, it's right clearly in the tornado alley. So what I want people to be aware of is there are dramatic and obvious economic consequences to, the, to, to, to a region which is either prone, prone to flooding or is in the West prone to fires. And we have to start looking at that now and addressing that. Because not only is our infrastructure, meaning our bridges and roads and everything, not only is that dilapidated, not only is our transportation system dilapidated, but our ability to deal with this accelerating climate threat has also been truncated. When you watch a single DC-10 dropping borate on a, fi on a fire that's you know, thousands, <laughs> thousands of miles involved, you, you know you, you, you aren't putting enough, so to speak, firepower on the fire. Well, right. the other thing that people are not aware of is that the additional costs of climate change are going to increasingly be felt in your food and your beverage consumption. Example, people don't realize, but hops to make beer comes from a northern latitude usually. What's happening is the hops crops are increasingly proving to be vulnerable. As people know, we are already having um, uh, uh, sea life meaning, meaning the, 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 the vast resources of the oceans, which we used to fish, those fisheries are collapsing. And in the case of the Pacific Ocean, and you'll be hearing more about this if you write Matt at worldbusiness.org, you'll be hearing more about the fact that they have now detected a fish outside of Fukushima, which is basically 7,000 times the legal limit for radioactive. So you've got radioactive fish in the Pacific Ocean. You have radioactivity washing up on the shores of Alaska, Oregon, Washington, California, Hawaii, that, when that radioactivity washes up on the beaches, the water, some of it gets deposited, the air picks it up and throws it into the air, and now you've got radioactive particles in the air. And just to let you know how bad this is, folks, 300 to 400 tons per day of radioactive water is being dropped as we speak by Fukushima. Two and a half years later, and Fukushima is still going off until we pressure through our government to cause the Japanese government to put capable people in charge of that crisis, Fukushima will continue to go off forever. It is now polluting the entire Pacific Ocean with radioactivity. I don't know how many of you are aware of that, but if you're not, you need to be. The American Medical Association less than two weeks ago just called for the urgent immediate monitoring of fish being extracted from the Pacific Ocean for precisely this reason. This is not a minor threat, ladies and gentlemen. Now, those costs, meaning you, you now can't safely begin to eat the fish which you, if you don't know whether or not they're radioactive. You, those costs to fishermen are enormous, but that goes throughout the food chain. So now the cost to you and me as consumers will go up. And what I'd like people to realize is that when you lose your house in a flood and the government says they'll help you rebuild it, you never get it back 100 cents on a dollar, and the government's out 100 cents, which you and I got to pay for but on top of that, you are not looking at the subtler loss of economic value, which occurs with climate change. And so this huge burden on our economy is increasingly becoming severe enough that if the Congress continues to shoot itself in the foot with sequesters, which will happen automatically in January unless they stop it, which they should, or with a, 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 a senseless debate over limiting the debt ceiling, which can't be changed, and to debate it, to put the, the U.S. government on the edge of default is crazy by any standard. Well, those additional pressures on the economy is what's keeping us captive to low growth rates, and it's what's keeping the unemployment rate high. So if you want to know who is doing it to you, folks, it's really easy to figure out. And what we must do now as informed consumers, as informed citizenry, is we, start, we have to start getting more proactive. It's not enough to just listen to a show like this once a month and feel like you've learned enough to protect yourself. It's time now to really take uh, proactive actions. I'd like to keep going on about the cost of climate change, but I'm concerned that we're almost the top of the hour, Matt, and I'd like to have people be able to sign off relatively close to the normal time. So should we go to the lightning round? Let's do it, yeah. Uh, today's lightning round is uh, another example of a service pro provided by the World Business Academy. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization, and we give this outlook on uh, asset classes without any agenda, strictly as a public service to our listeners. Um, looking back quickly at some of our recent predictions, we said to begin buying the S&P uh, in December of, two, of 2012, when it was at 1430. Now it's around 1690, roughly an 18% increase. And we said to start selling gold, if it was in your portfolio, at 
when it was at 1690 back in December of last year. Now it's around 1320 an ounce. If you'd listened to us, you would have saved a 22% drop in the value of gold. Uh, Ronaldo, what's your outlook on these and other asset classes in the near in the near future? Well, due to the limitation of time, let me just touch on a couple. First of all, I touched on last in the last show about the ideas of real estate investment trusts or REITs. And I invited questions from the audience. I'm really sorry to report I didn't get any questions about that. So I really want people to understand that there is an opportunity in commercial real estate. Uh, it's a better opportunity right now in some ways than in residential housing for investment purposes. If you're doing residential housing to live in it, then it's the best investment, of course. But if, you, if you're looking at residential housing as an investment per se, that market has been absorbed pretty much at this point. Not this case, it's not true, with commercial real estate, meaning office buildings and that sort of thing. So if people are interested in knowing more about REITs, real estate investment trusts, true trusts that are involved with real estate, not REITs for other purposes, please ask, send us a note, we'll cover it in more detail in the next show. If I don't hear from you, I'll assume that the, the audience isn't interested and in, in I won't um, say any more except to touch on it briefly. The other thing that's really important, I mentioned in the last show that I'm increasingly, I like getting involved with dividend stocks. And I just want everybody to know, the more I've looked at that, the more I am convinced that that is a very good strategy for the present time. In other words, if you look at a stock and you decide to buy it because the dividend represents, and this is a good number, two, two and a half, three percent of the cost of the stock. So if you're going to buy a stock for $10, and you're going to get a $2.5 a year dividend, that's a 2.5% return. That's a very good return in today's market. And given the uncertainty of what's going to happen in September with the debt ceiling crisis, it's the uncertainty of what's going to happen with sequestering in January, I would say a 2.5% return is your best, your best outcome right now, 25 or higher. Now, it doesn't mean that every stock that pays a dividend is safe because some companies will float a bigger dividend just to try to buy the stock, and they'll do it all the way to the poorhouse. What you have to do is be willing to look at what causes the dividend, and you also have to look at what's the ratio of the dividend they're paying to the income they're making. If it's too high, that's a bad sign. Don't go there. So what you're looking for are strong, stable sources of dividends that will increase over time. Uh, I can talk more about it. In fact, Matt, I'm actually thinking of doing a special class just on how to buy dividend stocks because this might be one of the best things that small investors can do to ride out the current craziness. And yeah. if there's an appetite for that, if people want us to do that, I will definitely put together a special one-hour show just on knowing how to buy dividend stocks, where to find them, and that sort of thing. But okay. the, the thing you want to know about dividend stocks is – in good economic times, a 2.5% return looks really attractive because that company will continue to raise its dividends over time in most cases. In addition, it's attractive in a down market because one of the things that keeps a stock level higher than it would otherwise be is if it bears a relationship to dividend. So if I am a stock that has poorer prospects because I'm doing less business this year than last year, but I pay a healthy dividend, people aren't going to sell my stock because they're getting the dividend they'll ride it out. Now, what's important about this, it used to be back in your father's day, your mother's day, your grandfather's day, you could buy a stock like a General Electric. You'd buy it for the dividend. By the way, we recommended General Electric for its dividends and for its stock price when it was back at around, I think, if I'm not mistaken, $14 a share. It's got to be above 26 at the present time. Anyway, the point I'm making is back in the day, you would buy a stock and you would hold it. Uh, yeah, General Electric is at 24 25 today. So you would buy a stock and you would hold it for decades, and you would, you'd collect the dividends. If you were smart, you could afford to. You'd reinvest those dividends, buying more favorable stocks at a 2.5% uh, yield or higher. In a, in a market like today, where the, for the foreseeable future, the amount you'll be able to make an in interest on a savings account in a bank or with a uh, with a treasury bill, or for that matter, with a, with a um, uh, savings instrument, is so low, you're better off having a stock with a 2.5% or better dividend than you are sitting naked in the market waiting to see if the market's going to go up or down. So I really want to urge people to consider dividends. If you have more questions on it, send them in to us. We'll deal with them in the next show. And if enough of you are interested in this subject, I will probably schedule a one special one-hour conversation just on that topic. There may be a small charge for it, but it won't be significant. So if you want to do it, let us know. But if you want questions answered about dividends, please let us know uh, between now and the next show. 
with regard uh, to oil, I think oil prices have peaked out. I've, I've, I've told you the, the secret about knowing where oil prices are going. When the spread between the price you can pay for a gallon of gas at a named service station like a Chevron or a Shell or an Exxon is five cents or more, I mean they sell it for five cents less at an independent station, so a non-name brand station like a Beacon or whatever. When that five cents is there, it means they have too much oil and the oil companies are selling it for less to their independents than they are to their dependents, to their own chain. When you see that spread growing, which is starting to do, it means there's, there, there's an oil glut and they can't maintain the artificial price at the high level it's at for much longer. When you combine the fact that large companies like Shell are finally admitting they can't keep finding enough reserves to replace the reserves they're pumping, when you see companies like Shell admitting that their, their entry into the fracking of, 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 of natural gas was a mistake, taking large write-offs for it, when you see the uh, Bill McKibben, which we really approve of here in the Academy, Bill McKibben's call for people to disinvest from oil stocks, my guess is that oil stocks are close to their all-time high right now, and if you wanted to short sell them pretty soon, you wouldn't be it wouldn't be an unwise move. Now, I don't normally recommend short selling to our listeners because I think it's a strategy that's more sophisticated than most people need to be. So I'm not going to urge you to go out and short sell. My point is, oil's not going up from here for the foreseeable future, and I suspect is going sideways. Soon, I hope to be able to tell you it's going down. Oil stocks and the price of a barrel of oil. I don't think it's going to go up much higher. In fact, I think it's a little overpriced at the present time. So I'm looking to see it fall back down below $100 a barrel. Uh, with regard to gold, I do not see gold becoming a good investment in the future at this time. They're for all the reasons we've given on prior shows, so I'm not going to go into them again. Uh, it's premature to be buying gold for your portfolio. It is a great time to start your victory garden. It is a great time to start growing your own tomatoes. It's a great time to be looking at how you can um, augment your uh, fresh uh, fruits and, and vegetable diet with a small little plot of ground that you can help work on. If you have children, it's, it's a fun thing with kids. If you're, if you're living alone or with someone of your own age, significant other, it's a great, it's a great hobby, uh, and it produces a dividend in terms of the cash value of what you'll grow, which is far higher than any dividend you can make on any stock today. I think that's a quick overview. I uh, hope it was helpful. Are there any ones that I should talk about that I left out? Uh, I think that's good. Yeah, I think you covered it. Excellent. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Please tell your friends. The more listeners we have, the more impact the show will have, and the better we'll be able to serve you in the future. And with that, I just want to thank you all for listening, and I'm looking forward to the next show, which will be on what date and time, Matt? That's a good question. Let me look real quick. Uh, I'm looking at August 12th. I'm sorry, September 12th. September 12th. Okay, great. So September 12th, if you want to hear the show live, as you know, the vast majority of our listeners pick it up off of the web, which is great with us. Uh, but we will do this next show on the 12th of September, and I think it airs at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, Matt, thank you. Back thanks to you. everyone who. Thanks for everyone who's listening. On, on behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you for joining us. Uh, please come to our website at business.org in between shows to connect and to read articles. Uh, we'll post the article that Ronaldo mentioned of Hazel Henderson's as soon as possible. should be up by the end of the day today. And until then, please share this link and tell your friends. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.